you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. 
and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Good morning, City on a Hill. Although this is not how any of us would like to be gathering together, how we would like to be connecting together, uh, I'm still a bit excited this morning, excited that our 19-week journey in Exodus is drawing to a close today. I'm excited that we get to uh, conclude this journey together today and take a look at how the story ends. So as we get into that, as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word, I'd love for you to pray with me pray for me now as we get into that time. Lord, thank you that uh, we can hear from you this morning, that we can uh, gather together digitally. We pray that as we come to your word, that you would speak powerfully, uh, that you would use your word to uh, challenge us, to encourage us, to convict us, to grow us in our love for you. Lord, be at work through your word this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Well, uh, as we prepare to get into these final chapters, as we prepare to uh, hear how this story ends, it does bring to mind uh, other stories, other movies that I've engaged with and uh, thought about the uh, conclusion, thought about the ending and how I might have done it differently. Uh, particularly in regard to this Exodus story, it brought to mind some uh, feelings, some thoughts about movies that finished with an anticlimax. Uh, stories that uh, ended in a way that uh, was a big kind of letdown, really. And uh, the one that I guess I centered my thoughts on this week is a classic. It's a little bit old, but uh, it cuts across time, across generations, I think. And it's one that has uh, stirred many conversations and controversies when it comes to its ending. And it's the movie of Titanic. It has... Uh, an epic ending. It's an epic story, really. Everybody knows the story of the Titanic, the big ship that's going to sink, but at the end of it, uh, Rose, the heroine of the story, is in the water with her lover, this uh, love story that's been building up through the whole movie, and they're in the water. The ship has sunk. We're uh, kind of sure what's going to happen, but uh, her lover is in the water. She's holding on to him, and not only not only does she uh, hang on to him and promise to never let him go and then just let go of his hand and he sinks to the bottom of the ocean, she's lying on a door where there was surely enough room for him to just climb up and be on the door with her and they both would have been fine. This has uh, been conversations throughout uh, time since this movie finished. Uh, I saw a clip of uh, 
Kate Winslet, who plays the, the female character on the Stephen Colbert show, uh, they reenacted the scene to show that they could have fit on the door and tried to rewrite the ending. Uh, but I think Celine Dion, who sang the, the epic song from that movie, summed it up best when uh, she said he should have just tried harder to get up on the door. He could have done it if he wanted to. But the reason I bring that up is because when we invest in a story, when we hear uh, a narrative that we've been engaged with, we want it to end well. And when there's an anticlimax at the end, when it doesn't end the way we want it to, there's a feeling of emptiness, there's a feeling of wanting something more. And uh, without giving too much of a spoiler away, I feel like that's how this story of Exodus ends, that we get to the end of this book and it feels like we're longing for something more, that it doesn't quite hit the spot with its conclusion. So we're going to work our way through to that and see where it does end and see where that leaves us and how we can prepare for life beyond this story. And as we've built up to this story, we've seen a lot happen, right? It has been an epic narrative. There's been a bunch of momentous occasions. Uh, we've seen Moses born. He was sent down the river. He was raised in an Egyptian kingdom. He has an encounter with God at the burning Bush, he sent out on a mission to free the people of God from slavery, culminating in uh, the ten plagues and the Passover. They escaped, they crossed the Red Sea, and are freed out of the slavery from the Egyptians. But as they are freed, as they are set free, the people of God fumble their way through this relationship that God is establishing between him and them. As freed people, they grumble, they complain, they turn away, they create golden calves. All the while, God, God remains faithful. He remains faithful to his promises. Throughout the history that's recorded in this book of Exodus, we have seen God's progressive revelation to his people of who he is is. Even as the, the people of God struggle to come to terms uh, with what this relationship looks like, with how it functions, God remains forgiving and merciful. And as we approach these final chapters, we see that in response to their betrayal in creating and worshipping this created idol, God has yet again turned aside his anger and renewed his commitment to his people. Now, given Israel's history up to this point, it's fair to wonder how they will respond to God's mercy this time. Will this stage of history wrap up with yet another turning away from God that is uh, relentlessly pursuing them, or will they take hold of God's commitment to them and accept his blessing? Well, we see from verses 4 to 29 in chapter 35 that as Moses puts out the call for how they can respond, the people of God fully jump on board. They jump on board out of an overflow of joy in response to God's reconciliation uh, and forgiveness, and they act. They joyfully give of anything they have that could be used for the tabernacle. They joyfully used the skills that God had given them that could be used toward the construction of the tabernacle. 
They joyfully respond to the mercy shown to them by God as they began to take hold of the reality of who God is. The creator of the universe longed to dwell with his people. He was making a way for that to be possible. And as the people of God took hold of that promise, they were responding in any way they could for that dwelling place to be a reality. As fluctuating as this this relationship between God and his people has been up to this point of history, in some sense it's not hard to fathom Uh, this response of joyful obedience from the people of God. Uh, Consider your, your own story for a moment and think back to when you first took hold of who God really is. When you first truly, truly felt the reality of the promises that God was making to you when you first uh, comprehended the magnitude of action that God had taken in pursuing you to become part of his family, the elation, the joy, the love that we experience in these moments is almost palpable and it's an extreme motivator. And in response to that, we want to jump on board. We can't help but jump on board. We, we sing his praises from the rooftop. We want to we tell anybody about this good news that will uh, lend an ear. We want to give of what we have towards his mission. We want to use our skills that we have been given towards his mission. And then, then the realities of life start to take hold. As the drain of our day wears us down, that enthusiasm wanes. As we get further from that moment of initial ecstasy, our priorities make subtle yet constant changes. This response we see from the people of God is encouraging. It's exciting to see people respond to what God is doing in their lives. But let, us, let it also be a challenge to us to take hold anew of the love that, has, uh, love that God has also shown to us. A love that, although it may seem to have faded is just as fresh, is just as real as the moment we first took hold of it. There's an age-old debate that passes from generation to generation. It's even asked in the Bible during the time of the prophet Jeremiah, but it seems that Uh, Seems as though as it's passed from generation to generation, as it's gone through the stages of human history, it has passed through without fully being answered. The question of whether a leopard can change its spots, whether it can truly change its spots. And as as an observer of this moment in history uh, recorded in Exodus, I think it's fair to ask how genuine this response is from the people of God. Could this people who have shown time and time again a response of turning away, a response of seeking after the comforts of this world, really be committing to this relationship that God is building from, for them? 
But what we see in these next chapters from 36 all the way through to 40 is a picture of something different. These chapters are not just uh, repetition of earlier uh, instruction to pad out a story, but a description of the level of obedience the people of God are showing to their instruction. Uh, if you remember back to chapters 26 through to 30, we first see the intricate detail required for the construction of this dwelling place for God to be with his people. And in these chapters now, we see them being carried out to the letter. Uh, from the goat's hair curtains to the acacia wood poles, from the two and a half cubit pure gold mercy seat to the six branch lampstand, from the cherubim to the priestly garments, all completed exactly as had been told to them. And as all of this con uh, construction draws to a close, as this dwelling place for God begins to take shape, you can, you can just imagine the excitement that would be in the air. These people that have been unsure of themselves and their place before God are showing genuine commitment to Him. They are taking hold of His life-changing promises and they're excited about what the future holds for them now. This camp is buzzing with anticipation of what their lives will now look like. Moses is beaming at the way his people are responding to his leadership and the tabernacle is completed. Uh, verse 33 puts it simply, And he, Moses, erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Finished the work. Just imagine for a moment being part of that excitement. As the last uh, poles are hammered into place, as the last gate is set on its hinges and given a, a few good pushes back and forth to test it out, I imagine kids jumping on it and swinging back and forth, uh, parents laughing and feeding off their youthful enthusiasm. Nothing is going to dampen their spirits right now. Their God is coming to dwell with them. They had received their instruction and followed it to the every detail. They had crossed every T. They had dotted every I. They were ready for God to come and be with them. And verse 34, we see that happen as the book of Exodus draws to a close. I want us to read that together through to the final verse of the chapter, starting in verse 34. It reads... Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God desires relationship with his people. He now has a dwelling place so that he can be amongst them. And he is. 
Those final verses explain how God now dwells in their presence and leads them. He has a dwelling place with them, but I wonder if you caught verse 35. As the presence of God comes to dwell with his people, verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God longs to be with his people. Through the, work he is, uh, through the work he is doing, he is restoring the relationship between them. He now has a dwelling place to live amongst them, but even at their best, even with Moses in peak leadership form, the relationship is not yet fully restored. There is still more to come. There is still more to the story. constant thread throughout the book of Exodus has been that the securing of the relationship between God and his people was going to be achieved by God and God alone. And through one final stark reminder, we see that amidst the excitement and joy and anticipation that things are still not yet where they need to be. That the best efforts of human response were not going to be enough. Even though God now had a dwelling place. Even Moses, who had led his people to this point and shown great faithfulness to God, could not enter and be in the presence of God. God has his dwelling place, yes. We get the realization from the way this book draws to a close that it is an unfolding story, but an unfolding story where more is still required. This may be how the book of Exodus finishes, but it's not how the story of God ends. As history continues to unfold from this moment in Exodus, we see that God does indeed continue his work. That God does indeed secure the relationship between him and his people. That God does indeed create a dwelling place where he and his people will be able to live in perfect harmony. The problem for Moses, the problem for the people of God, the problem for us now is that even in our highest moments, we fall short. It took Jesus, the Son of God, who was enough even at his lowest to bridge the gap between God and his people, to secure the relationship that God had longed for, to secure the future reality where he can fully dwell with his people, described in the book of Revelation that gives us a glimpse of how the story of God does eventually draw to a conclusion. Uh, In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, it reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so as we draw this to a close, as we take in the story of Exodus and the way that story ends and look towards the way that God will eventually draw his story to a conclusion, I want to ask you, how does the reality of this future dwelling place shape how you live now? How does the reality of this future dwelling place that God has created where he will live with his people in perfect harmony shape how you live in the present? In the confidence of where you are headed by placing your faith and trust not in the best of your efforts but in the efforts of Jesus. A place where we will live with the God of the universe who actually chooses and wants to dwell with us. A place where he will wipe away every tear, where death shall be no more, where pain is done away with. How does that shape the way you live in the present as we anticipate that future? This is a particularly relevant question to our current context as we seek to navigate another period of lockdown. A common refrain in discussions with people as we've tried to work our way through these periods is that it feels like time is being taken away from us. That being locked down feels as though there's something being stolen from our lives. Underlying the frustrations of being restricted and removed from what we would like to be doing, there are fears being revealed. These thoughts feed into fears that so many of us carry that we won't achieve enough in our lives. Of not getting to do all that we want to do before we die. Of not living a life significant enough because we're being robbed of time. The reality of being locked down is that we are restricted. Restricted in our movements, in our connections, in our lives. That restriction creates an atmosphere in our minds that we're missing out. And as a generation that longs to to make a mark, to leave a significant impact on the world, to chase after every dream with full passion, this is a reality that none of us like to live in. The thought pattern follows the thread that if I'm locked down, I'm losing time. Losing time I could be using to achieve what I wanted to achieve, enjoy the things I want to enjoy before it's too late. And as we wrestle with the confronting nature of what we currently deal with, I want to draw your minds out of that space and back onto that future dwelling place. As humans, 
as people created by God in the image of God, our reality is that all of us will live forever. For people who have their trust and faith in Jesus, that eternal home is the dwelling place of God, the new heaven and the new earth. That means our time in this current place is temporary, that it is impossible for time to be taken away from us because we have eternity to live. The God who has pursued you since the beginning of time, who has secured a relationship between you and Him, who has created a place for you to dwell with Him forever, will decide how much time you spend here and how much time will be spent there. But while we're here, until we get to that future dwelling place, let us not be caught up in the misbelief that we can somehow be robbed of time. We have an eternity to look forward to where we will dwell with our God in a place unimaginably more enjoyable and fulfilling than any time we could experience here. It's often been said that a city on a hill sermon is not a real sermon until there's a C.S. Lewis quote included. Uh, I'm in a bit of trouble if that's the case because I had a look back through a few of my sermons in the lead up to this and saw a lot more inspiration being drawn from uh, Netflix and Dr. Zeus. I'm not, so, not sure what that says about my reading patterns, but... Uh, I did stumble across a helpful comment from Mr. Lewis to get me back on track. And in my reading for this sermon today, his comment on uh, his time was particularly helpful in clarifying this thought. Uh, he spoke into a time in 1948 when the world is coming out of World War II and living under the reality of atomic bombs. Into this moment. Lewis reminds people that history has been constantly and uh, consistently littered with life-changing realities, that they would be mistaken to exaggerate the novelty of their own situation. Their response then is not to ignore the reality that they're in, but in his words, to first pull ourselves together and then continue on with our mission. That the current reality need not dominate our minds. That the current reality need not dominate our minds. As human beings, we are made to live forever. As human beings made by God in the image of God, while we are here in this world, while we are here in this temporary dwelling place, we are made to live to reflect His glory. No amount of restriction can stop you from achieving that purpose. The method we use might change. It might look a little bit different from how we expected it, but our purpose of glorifying God never will. 
the God that we know and trust in stands sovereignly in control of all that happens on this earth. And we need not fear that anything can get in the way of God using us to that end, using us to that purpose, using us to glorify His name. Let's be honest that we're probably going to work hard enough to get in our own way to distract ourselves from that mission. But don't let the fear of losing time dominate your mind and lead to believing the lie that you can't achieve all that you've been created to do. As a people who are secure in their future reality, we are freed from being bound to the limitations of anything this world would have to offer. This series has been about a story of freedom and we, through Jesus, are free to enjoy the blessings that come without being consumed by them. Free to live for our chief purpose of glorifying God in all that we do, in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Freed in the knowledge, in the knowledge that the efforts of Jesus mean that whoever would believe in him, though he die, yet shall he live forever in the dwelling place of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that your story didn't end at uh, Adam and Eve's sin, that it didn't end at the end of Exodus, but you continued your work throughout the stage of history, throughout the time and time again of your people's uh, rebellion from you. Thank you that you lovingly pursued us until uh, the relationship and between us and you was secured and we could be uh, secure in the knowledge that we have a dwelling place with you forever. Thank you, Lord, that you have made that possible. Thank you, thank you that you have awoken our hearts to that reality. We pray, Lord, that as we live our lives here in anticipation of joining you in eternity, joining you in unimaginable joy and glory, we pray that you would continue to work in us and through us to mold us into your likeness as we seek to live out our lives glorifying you now making famous your name, that other people may enjoy the fulfillment of knowing this future reality for them as well, Lord. Lord, would you keep our eyes and our minds fixed and focused on you and your purposes for our life. Thank you, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.